This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. I've been running for a few years now and have the privilege of meeting many incredible runners on my travels all across the country. This podcast is intended to share those amazing conversations. This episode is a bit of a different structure than normal. I spoke with my coach, David Roche, about the last year of training with SWAP, or Some Work All Play, the coaching group that he and his wife Megan lead. We talked about mental strength and how I've applied what I've learned over the last few months and years into my training, what it's like to be so open with my ups and downs, and quite a lot of David's insights from his years of experience as a coach and athlete. I gave a fairly vivid and explicit account of the last few miles of the Providence Marathon from a few weeks ago and what went into how that day turned out. We talked about my journey as an athlete over the last six years, and particularly over the last year with SWAP, and David pointed out a lot of different lessons that you all can hopefully take away and benefit from what we've been doing together. I hope you enjoy and learn from this one. It was definitely a fun one to record. Enjoy. Um, okay, it's recording. Um, awesome. Well, I'm here with my coach, David Roche. Um, David and I have been working together for about the last year or so. Um, and, uh, a couple of people suggested, um, doing sort of a, ask the coach, you know, ask the athlete type, um, type interview here. So we're flipping the script a little bit. Um, the idea originally came from Matt Chittum of uh, rambling runner podcast and, uh, and Matt's got a pretty successful podcast. So I figured, uh, take some advice from, from someone who, uh, who knows what he's talking about. So David, thanks so much for, uh, for jumping on here today. Thanks so much for having me. I love your podcast. And I'm getting, I mean, I guess the people that are listening at home don't get to see your face, but I'm getting a freshly shaved John, <laughs> which I'm sure helps sound quality at least, but um, I'm kind of wistful about the, the beard hairs gone by. So <laughs> it's, it's great to be on. Thanks so much. Definitely. Well, so that's, that's, um, that's related to the marathon. So I haven't <laughs> been, I haven't been clean shaven since Boston of 2017. And, um, and and I like uh, I like going with the with the mustache for the marathon, for a couple of reasons. Um, obviously, aerodynamics that that's of course number one. But um, number two, it's it's just so goofy and and like I can't take myself seriously um, with a mustache. I was out to dinner with some friends on the Saturday before um, before Providence, and I I was in the bathroom, you know, washing my hands. And I saw my face in the in the mirror and just started cracking up. I think that's half the fun, just like not taking yourself seriously and, and keeping the weekend nice and light. I love it. Plus, you can store a little bit of gel right on the like on the tip of the mustache. Yeah. Just in case you need it at like mile 16. Yes. Uh, so no, I love the, that concept of not taking yourself seriously through facial hair. Um, I can't believe I have not written that article yet. <laughs> Next week's uh, Trail Runner uh, magazine <laughs> article will be all about facial hair and, and aerodynamics. Oh my God, you better believe it. I'm sure there's other, other body hairs that we're not even thinking about right now. This is opening a whole new frame into performance psychology and physiology right here. So um, I'm excited. I mean, if that's what the podcast is going to deliver, this thing is going to freaking deliver. Yeah, I mean, we, we didn't really know what we were going to get into. And, and, and we're, we're talking uh, mustache and facial hair and body <laughs> hair optimization. So cool. Um, well, David, so we've been working together for, for about a year now. Um, and I remember when you first, um, when we first started talking about working together, you were like, you haven't done anything yet. You're, you're just getting started. Um, and I've, I've been running for, I don't know, what is it? 2019. So six years now. Um, and I'm finally starting to agree that like, yeah, we're, we're really just getting started. So we're, where do you come from when, when you say something like that? Um, what's, you know, what's your vision for an athlete that you're, that you're starting to work with? And then maybe let's get into 
um, sort of what we've done over the last year or so. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, first I was a fan of yours as a person before and, and um, long before coaching. So I think that gave me a little bit of specific background into what you'd been doing and how you viewed the sport, all of which I really admired. And I knew I could learn from a lot too. Um, but then the more general point to start before I get into like why I said that specifically to you is that we're all just getting started. Right. I mean, the, one of the main principles is like, you know, you see that a lot, especially in athletes that might be aging, you know, even honestly, like I, I see athletes that are 33 say, Oh, I'm over the hump. Um, but you know, you especially start to see that in the forties, fifties, sixties and beyond. And the point is, no, that's not how running works. I mean, yeah, PRs might get harder and harder to chase, but the daily process and all these other fun adventures that you can find along the way. I mean, that that's always on the horizon always. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I really want to like really have athletes grasp onto that attitude and hold it real tight because running is hard. Um, it's hard no matter what your goals are or what your pace is. It's hard if you're running 10 miles a week or hundred miles a week or whatever. Um, so what gets you through that difficult time? It's, it's the, the hope, the optimism, all these positive emotions that you can then build into your running. So that's why like anyone listening to this is just getting started. Um, and that doesn't just go for running that can go for relationships and work and all that other stuff. Um, but with you specifically as an athlete, um, you know, I think it goes beyond the ooey gooey stuff about, um, life and gets more into the specifics of training, um, physiology and philosophy. So, you know, what I saw in you is an athlete, someone that clearly had, um, athletic talent outside of running and in running. Um, you know, you did the November project workouts, all these other things that really showed, um, you know, your abilities weren't just based on like running on a straight line or anything like that. And two, you hadn't ever run that much yet. You're still a baby runner. Um, you know, like gains get harder and harder to come by as athletes start doing like the massive volumes of, you know, hundreds of miles a week and stuff. Um, but before that, you know, we're all finding our limits and those limits are often much greater than we think they are. Um, and then the last one is that, yeah, I mean, your, your attitude to it, toward it was just like a coach's dream. Like I knew that anything I said might help you, like, you know, you're just all in like, and I imagine that's how you are with inside tracker too. Um, and you know, we've heard such amazing things with like things where you, what you do in that. And so when you have those elements, it's like, gosh, freaking, there's nothing I can do wrong. Um, I almost viewed it like, you know, like game of Thrones, super topical right now. Um, the dragon Drogon, I feel like coaching you is like Drogon. You just point you in the right direction and you'll just breathe fire. Um, so my only job was just to give a slight point. Um, you did the rest. Cool. Um, well, that's super awesome to hear. It's been, it's been a fun year for sure. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the swap approach and, and sort of the philosophy of training behind um, what you and Megan do? Yeah. I mean, so basically what the swap approach comes down to, like some work all play for those that don't know, it's like our coaching team, bunches of different runners, different um, focuses and all that. But the main like uniting thing among all of them is we want athletes to find their their speed, like their athleticism within their running, rather than focusing on things like long tempos or mile repeats. I mean, there's a time and a place for those. What we want an athlete to do is every single athlete we have, whether it's um, Jason Slar doing hundred milers or, you know, someone that's like Zach Ronales running the OGQ or whatever, we want them to get to the start line in their like peak speed. Um, like if we lined up and then at the start, they're like, Hey, we're not running a marathon or not running 100, uh, you know, 100 miles. We're running a 200 meter dash or, um, <laughs> uh, even a mile. Uh, those athletes would be like, okay, I can do that. I can handle that. Maybe not like full speed sprinter type, but I would be, I wouldn't die. <laughs> um, so by finding that speed, we're able to get the running economy, positive feedback cycle going as you raise aerobic volume. So that's the other main prong is just gradually raising aerobic volume over time. And one, one of the big focuses of your training was just getting it so that like, you know, your old breakthrough became your new normal. Um, and as we did that, like your body was able to adapt over time. Um, so yeah, that's, I mean, I, that's the coolest part that like over the, over the last few months that I like, I kept, I kept having to reestablish what I thought I was capable of doing. And you kept telling me like, 
screw it. Like you don't know what you're capable of doing. Just go out and do it. And, and, and either you'll have a breakthrough or you won't. Yeah. And I mean, I'm still at that point with you and I like, it's not just you. I, I don't know. I can guess. I have, you know, one good thing about coaching is you get a little bit better at predicting the future. Um, but a good example is 10, 11 days before your marathon, you did a 10 K essentially a time trial. Like I, I wanted you to go out and see your fitness. Partially that was psychological. Partially that was physical. Um, you said a big PR in that 10 K, especially over when you started um, with swap and <laughs> like three and a half minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I wouldn't be surprised if next year we're looking at another three and a half minutes. You know, I, I it's always hard to know. Um, but the trajectory certainly hasn't slowed down. Um, and so, you know, I think that that's one of the big underlying principles that we view like as roles as coaches is to try to lift what the athlete conceives of their own limits um, and lift them to the point that there are none. Like even if, um, you know, we might be chasing times or things like that, especially for athletes that are going for, you know, Olympic trials, qualifying marathons or things like that. We don't want them ever to define themselves by like their last workout, their next race, anything like that. We want the future to be this un have unlimited possibilities. Um, because once you do that, then you start to like actually see what you can do. You know, what we see is that so many athletes go through life and this isn't just athletes, but it applies specifically to coaching with runners. So many athletes go through life thinking that they're hitting their ceiling, you know, and so much of that is in preconceived notions of what they're capable of. Um, you know, that's not just like, oh, on race day, it matters that you believe. On race day, it doesn't matter that much. You know, it might just be a minute or two here or there. Um, what actually matters is the day-to-day grind, believing in yourself on that workout, but then also believing that you can do these things that your body has never done before. Like for you, I mean, I I, I had trouble. You're, you have a lot of bikes in your Strava, so it's hard to see volume. But um, I mean, you're the number of times you set your weekly mileage PR was pretty, like it was a lot, right? Like six or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, in general, your average mileage was way higher. Um, And if I had told you a year ago that you were going to do that, I think, and you correct me if I'm wrong, I'm guessing you would say, well, I think that will, there's a good chance that will end an injury, right? Yep. Well, Um, so the crazy part, I guess it's not crazy because it was calculated, but um I used to run like 45 to 55 miles a week and, and I wouldn't feel great and I would do a track workout and I would be, you know, toasted for two or three days. And, and I would peak, I peaked at like my highest mileage week was like 61 and, and we were running like easy 60 week, 60 mile weeks. And I was feeling like I could, you know, run a marathon at any point in the cycle. But what I thought was, and and I didn't have many bad weeks, and then um, and then towards the end of the cycle, we sort of found those limits, and and it was it was like reassuring that we had we had I think you put in the log one day that like okay we found the the limit of <laughs> physiological adaptation, and now we now we taper, um, but it was so cool that like. I just kept progressing and progressing and progressing. And then at one point it was just over the line and we pulled back and I felt amazing. Yeah. I mean, I think part of that is like, not, not to give myself credit on this. Like it's the natural progression. You get credit on this. No, no. Because I think part of it's the national natural progression of an athlete coming into their own as they develop. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think the other big part, well, there's a a couple others. One, you have, um, you're very honest with me in your log every day. Um, like that's not always the case. Like you tell me everything that is relevant, not just in running, I think for the most part. And I mean, that relationship really is key because in how many times did we change the plan? Probably like a hundred over the last, at least, um, you know, everything's in pencil to change all the time, but just based on like how you felt, sometimes it would be increasing things. It's not always decreasing. Right. Um, you know, you're always like, you're always willing to take that, needed rest day, even when it might not be on there, even before we talk, which is really important because, you know, you've been healthy. Um, and then I think part of it too, is just like, <laughs> for you in particular, God, you're, you're such a joy to coach. Like you, whether things are going well or not going well in that specific day, you bring that enthusiasm and belief in the, like, it's just general nature of what you're doing. Um, 
that, you know, once you start doing that, like a lot can build off itself. So when it comes to training, you know, we developed your speed pretty early and I started to see, wow, like, you know, your strides are getting really fast. Like you're developing your upper end running economy very quickly. And I was like, well, shoot, how will happen when we go longer on this? And, you know, it didn't, I mean, at that point I was like, oh, well, I see where this is going. (laughs) You know, it's going to be a lot of PRs. And, um, you know, I think when athletes start seeing that it's easy to decide that I am not this person. I am not this person that's capable of this progression or these, this growth or, you know, pushing my limits or doing all these things. And that's not just you know, normal runners, that's also professional athletes that are pushing the very limits of like, right. what doing. um, and when that happens, like, yeah, an athlete won't progress or won't progress as much as they're capable of, you know, if you're pushing back against psychological inertia, like nothing's going to happen. Megan and I, uh, my wife, Megan, for those that don't know, who's co-coach doctor and all that. So she's a doctor knows everything about physiology that you could ever know. And what she says now is that the most important thing doesn't have anything to do with physiology. It has to do with belief. Belief doesn't mean belief in a coach. Um, it means this, this courageous leap of self-belief of being willing to, to dream about what you're capable of, um, and not defining it by numbers or anything like that, but just this like amorphous, (laughs) exciting blob in the future, um, that you don't have to think that deeply about to get deeply excited about. And you, you did that from the beginning and, you know, that's not always easy. Like I know like it's easy to, in, in a podcast form to act like it comes simply, but you know, you went through a lot in the last year and not just in running and um, you know, athletes are determined by how they respond to adversity. If like that is an athletic life, that is a life life is adversity. And um, you know, if, if you're not equipped to handle that, then you're never going to progress to what you're capable of. And that's where it comes in. The timing was fascinating with some of the harder workouts that we were doing because I was getting really uncomfortable in training, but I was getting really uncomfortable in life also um, with relationships that had been going on for a while that no longer are going on or or is no longer going on. Um, And starting a podcast, starting a podcast, working your butt off, traveling a lot, lots of stuff around Boston too. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on, and and it was it was cool to to take the lessons learned in life and the lessons learned in running and and match it back and forth. Like, I'm going to go into this workout. I'm going to go into this conversation. I'm going to go into this whatever, um, accepting that that it's not going to be fun or or the workouts were fun, but that it's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to feel good the whole time. And I I vividly remember one workout where this point was just drilled home, and this is the workout I'm going to remember forever. Um, I was running along the Esplanade. We were doing, it was an eight by three minute day. Um, I don't know, in March, I want to say it was cold out. Um, and I was on the sixth rep and it was super windy also. So like classic Boston. And I was just like, how fucking cool is it that, that I get to make myself hurt right here for three minutes and, and work so hard and push the limit here. And then in three minutes, done. Then you rest and do it again. And it was just, it was like so empowering that I was like welcoming that kind of pain into, into the training process. Well, you see the analog in the race itself. I don't know if we want to like spoil it, if we're going to like build up through. Yeah, I think that's a good segue. <laughs> Should I spoil the result right now? And sure. <laughs> so 22 minute PR, something like that. 21. Yeah. Um, sub three, but you know, I think the cooler thing is like you said, every PR in the bill, you're healthy, all that. Um, but during the race, you went out a little faster than planned as athletes are, you know, often do. I couldn't stop running anything slower than six forty. Every time I looked down, I was trying to slow down. It's a good problem to have. It, um, it didn't so stop. As I, as I heard, I was very scared. Uh, <laughs> I, I see yeah. enough marathons to know that that often doesn't end well. And sure enough, the fade began around when you would expect around halfway a little later. Um, and the fade was substantial enough that what the usual way that turns out. So someone goes out at six forties when the goal is like something around sub three, um, you know, six forty six fifty two for, for those listening at home. Exactly. So six forties being in the mid two fifties. Um, usually what ends up happening there is 
you see like a few miles get a little slower and then a little bit more slow. And then around 16 um, might drop a little, but then around 20, like often you'll see some at one of those athletes go to eight minutes or so. Um, I mean, we've all tracked marathons with our friends, especially at races like Boston where that happens. Um, and part of me was expecting that I had to leave the computer. I had to go like go outside and like, like he's going to be happy no matter what. This is was a great build. He set that 10 KPR just a little bit ago. So we can just go and do another marathon in a couple of weeks if we need to do a marathon and training. Um, and I come back to the computer and it was the exact opposite, which is something I have not seen in all my time in coaching is a fade averted after the fade had already begun in a road marathon without like any like substantial elevation differences. Um, so it not hillier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your fastest miles were your last few. Um, so clearly, I mean, we're talking about the six reps to eight, the six reps of eight. It must've been the same mental switch, like whatever that process is. And um, it must, something must've happened there where it's like you were able to access parts of your physiology that had been like turned off. So clearly there's a psychological element there because, um, you know, I've almost never seen that. I've seen some remarkable things, but uh, a late marathon acceleration after a five or 10 mile fade is not something that is very common. Um, so yeah, what was your mindset there that like happened? I mean, I, I we haven't even talked about this specifically yet. Yeah. So, um, it was interesting because I, I hit the half and, um, it was your half PR. Right. So it was close. My half PR is like 127 low. I haven't raised a half since 2016. So take that with a grain of salt. But I, I like I then I got in my own head. I was like, man, I just ran 40, 45 seconds faster than my half PR. If I negative split this, I'll set a half PR. And and that that sort of like weighed on me for a little bit. Um, then I saw <laughs> then I saw or or a random person saw me and they're like, Hey, are you John? Like, I follow you on Twitter. Like, some girl that was running the race, and I, I like started like burst out laughing, and I was smiling and happy. And then, like two minutes later, I see another friend, uh, my friend Jess, who I hadn't seen in like a while. Um, and I just like I was like, wow, like all these people are just like cheering for me while they're running their race. And and over the next few miles, I just started like thinking about other people, like Nick and Bridget and, and all of these awesome swap athletes and Amelia and like all these people that are just like cheering for me or messaged me prior. And, um, I mean, like I could name two dozen people that, that reached out and like, it all just like started cycling through my head from mile like 18 through 20 and 18 through 20, like 19 and 20 were on, um, uh, an unprotected stretch along the ocean. And it was, I thought it was windy. I told somebody else, it was like, Oh, this is so windy. They're like, that's nothing. But in the moment it was super windy. I was by myself physically, but I literally like had these messages of people coming to me. Like, like it was just so supportive in that moment. And then there was a hill, uh, at mile 20, uh, ish. And I slowed down significantly there as I got up the hill. Um, but there were people at the top of the hill that were just cheering their ass off. And then there was a nice, a nice gradual downhill. And, and I was like, man, I got to like pick it up here. And I started doing some math when I hit the, the, when I hit mile 20 and I've never nailed the mental math in a race before. And I nailed it. And and I was like, wh- whatever the math was, I don't remember it right now where it was at mile 20, but I was calculating that I needed like a, I think it was like a 43 minute 10K or, or like something like that um, in order to like just slide under. I think 43 was, was what it was. Um, and then we get to a, this hill at mile 23. And this is a hill that, that was... Um, we had run down it at like mile three and, and it was like a very steep descent. And I was like, Oh man, like so glad we're running down this hill at mile three versus up it later. And like people around me were, were like laughed and I, they must've known that like we were coming right back up that hill. <laughs> and, and so like I was reduced to a walk for, for like five strides. And I was like, it's, it's more efficient to walk up this hill right now because 
it's so freaking steep. And then there were these people, again, cheering their ass off at the top of the hill. And we had just joined up with the half marathoners. So now I'm, I'm running faster than people who are running half marathons, which was like super motivating. But at this point, I was like, if I run faster than seven minute mile from, from here on out, I hit, I hit my goal. I get my BQ. I, you know, the, the, that unicorn I've been chasing for the last four years is, is, uh, is captured. And I have a friend that, um, uses this like mantra of like, you've come this far. Don't fuck it up now. And, and so like that came to my head and I was like, it's three miles. Suck it up. Let's go. And I started picking off these half marathoners. And it was so fun. They were cheering and because um, I'm coming like twice as fast as as they were running. And it was like, it was motivating for me. It was motivating for them. They were cheering. The crowds were cheering. And I was like, it's going to get really, really uncomfortable in these next few miles. Like, cool. Bring it on. Let's see what I'm made of. And um, I first... Capture the unicorn has to be a shirt. <laughs> has to be the ne- the first swap shirt of like um, that's coming. But um, and <laughs> tell me, did it get uncomfortable? Yeah, it got uncomfortable. It got really uncomfortable. And and the most uncomfortable part? No, not the most uncomfortable part. But the the scariest part? There was cobblestone at mile twenty five. Um, so I was like, I'm either gonna like make it through this or I'm going to break my ankle and fall in the ocean right here. And, and then we're dealing with sprained ankles again. Um, yeah, it got pretty uncomfortable. And at mile 25, someone started shouting, like, you're at whatever pace, like you can like, go. someone's, someone said, go get your BQ. <laughs> like, because they knew it was like just under the three, um, three hour mark. And this was right before a bridge. And so I'm under this bridge and I just start fucking screaming so loud. I was like, let's fucking go. And I scared the woman that was next to me that there's a theme here. We'll talk more about scaring people around me. Um, (laughs) and, and I was just so amped up in that moment. And, um, there were a couple dudes around me at that time and I looked at one to my right and I was like, let's go, let's, let's get this. And, and we just ran like stride for stride, um, for the next, you know, half mile or whatever. And then, um, some guys on the street and he's like, it's at two fifty eight. get it, get it moving, get it moving. And, and I was, uh, my watch was, uh, 0.15 over. Um, and I knew that. And so I, I, again, I was doing the math. I was like, okay, I have a quarter mile here. That's whatever, you know, whatever it is. And, and I just got on my horse and, and just started, started running. And I remember seeing the, the, the 259 30 or 20, 28 or something on, on the clock. And that's where that photo comes from, where I had literally just seen it. And I just started screaming. And, and I like Shalane Flanagan style, like, let's go. Um, and I cross the finish line and a woman tries to hand me a medal and I just start screaming, like, <laughs> fuck yeah, right in her face. I felt so bad. I apologize when I like, came down from it. And then I like, then I collapsed to the ground and it was, it was incredible. Oh my God. What a, what a great story. First for this episode, that needs to be the cover picture. Nothing of me. It needs to be you screaming, <laughs> please. Um, but I mean, what I love about that story is like, you know, what is the point of life and of existence and all this other stuff other than to have these moments of yeah. existential, not just elation, but just feeling. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I saw in the build that you embraced that so much, not just on the good workouts, but also on the crap that you had to deal with. Like, you were willing to feel what you felt, um, you know, and I think societally and running and, you know, every work, like so much that we see and so much we're told is like, okay, well, these things you feel, this enthusiasm you feel, these, this sadness you feel, this joy, this, you know, anything, like it should be something that um, 
you know, you tamp down, you tamp down, like in, in a marathon, you finish, you act like you've been there before. You know, it's not this, no, you say, yeah, I didn't know we could custom this. You say, fuck yes. <laughs> my favorite podcast ever already. Um, you know, you, you do that. You, like, you live it, you feel it, you experience it, no matter what, like that will be in memory. You always have that feeling, those chills that were probably going up your spine when you yeah. realize even as the pain was coursing through your veins, like that is so cool. And it doesn't just apply to running. It applies, I mean, well, it applies to workouts. It applies to your, you know, your everyday running and stuff like that. But then it also applies outside of that. Like, oh my gosh, when you're going through something great in a relationship, that's the time to say, fuck yes, this is great. Or you're not, it's the time to like feel that and to embrace that too. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I think that that was one of the things that like, I saw on you long before you joined SWAP that like really jumped out to me is like your willingness to, to go for it, you know? Um, and I think, I mean, to everyone listening, that would be one of my big pieces of advice on the show is like, go for it. Why not? Like go for it in everything. Like the worst that can happen, the worst that could happen to you is that you run a like three fifteen or DNF or whatever, break your ankle or whatever. That's fine. That's a story. That would be a good podcast too. We could cuss about that all day. Um, you know, and the same goes for other things too. Like just make sure you're living. Like don't wait because it's never coming. You are where you, you're here now and the future is never getting here. So embrace that moment. I mean, you know, it's one thing that like I learned from you a lot too, you know, as I was checking in with you every day and it's something I really valued. Megan knows that um, I would often say, I just love opening this log. And it's not that you were telling me I'm great or every day was great or anything like that. It was more just like you were real, like you were real about how you felt and what you were doing and stuff. And like, for me, as someone that, um, has a tendency to retreat inside my own head a little bit, um, like it was inspirational. It was inspirational in my coaching, my athletics, my work, like all that. So yeah, I mean, I love that you custom that woman's face at the finish. <laughs> <laughs> and then the funniest part, well, uh, the funniest part was, um, and then another, another volunteer tried to hand me a, a bottle of water. I had stood up at this point um, and my arms went completely numb. And I was like, I can't do anything with that right now. <laughs> like, and it was the strangest feeling. Like I had, I had, exhausted everything in my body that like my arms didn't work and um the funniest part was this this um so it was raining so i was wet at this point from you know sweat and rain as as happens um and i was like i need to get out of this shirt but i can't i can't move my arms and my dad was there at the finish line and i was like dad can you help me get undressed (laughs) It's like, I haven't done this in 25 years, but put your arms up. (laughs) So like, that's another one of those moments that I'll just remember forever. Like my dad helping me get dressed at 28 years old after, after being, you know, trashed at a, at a finish line. Well, I I love that so much. And I'm not going to be pleased with my podcast performance unless I can't move my arms after. (laughs) Like unless I'm fully numb when we finish this recording I'm just going to like, feel like I left something on the table. <laughs> but no, I mean, I love that. And like, I think, you know, the race experience was amazing, but like, I'm really confident that no matter what happened that day, you were in a place that like, it was just a stepping stone on this broader journey. Yeah. And I think that that was one key that lets you do that. Like if you had put everything in this race, I think it would have been really hard to give yourself in the same way. Right. Uh, you know? And so, yeah, I think, one thing that what we try to do throughout is to like support as we talked about in the beginning, this, you're just getting started mentality, but with that manifests itself as in practice is no day is more important than any other. Like your rest day is the most important day of the week. Your easy run is the most important day of the week. Your stride, like it's all like you are in the, and um, you know, as that works for the future, you have, thousands and more of more days to come. Some of them will be massive PRs. Some of them will be, you know, 18 poops in the woods and (laughs) others will be in terrible injuries, you know, another thing. And it's like, they're all like, all of those emotions can be, can be cherished in their own way. Um, and hopefully by doing that, it takes some of the pressure off too, because, you know, it gives you permission to fail. It gives you permission to succeed. It gives you permission just to be and like, be okay with it and know that, 
you're going to be loved no matter what by us and by the people that care about you. Um, and I think that's especially hard in the social media world where people do think that, you know, you, and for you, it actually is true. Like people are watching, um, you know, like you have a lot of followers, you put yourself out there. Um, but you know, this didn't, if it didn't go perfectly, like you still would have told the story. And I think owning that gave you, you know, superpowers, the power to go until you freaking arms fell off or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, that's like you had, you helped me shift the perspective from, um, I must run sub three to, I want to celebrate how fantastic these last, this last, uh, cycle was, um, I didn't run a marathon for two years for that reason. Cause I, I was so stuck on the, the numbers and I, I got into trail running because like the numbers don't matter. And I love that about trail runners that like you can run a 10 minute mile and you can run a, I was listening to Jim Walmsley talk about this on, um, I think, uh, see Tolly runs podcast. Um, he was saying like, you can run a six minute mile downhill or you can run a 10 minute mile uphill and you're working, you're, po- you're probably working harder in the 10 minute mile and it just doesn't matter. Um, and it's so, I think that's so cool about, about trail running, but I have, I was stuck in that, you know, looking at the watch, looking at the watch, looking at the watch, um, when things were both going well and not going well. And, and as like a data nerd and numbers, you know, fanatic, um, I, I often have a, you know, I struggle to, to not you know, be glued to the watch. Um, but for whatever reason, I was able to, to get out of my own head with that in the cycle. I mean, I had, I had a workout where I was like 40 seconds over what I thought my goal pace was. And like, that was cool. And that was fine. Um, a couple of years ago, probably would have been a different story. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it might be helpful to rewind a little bit too, because this conversation paints it a little as though this marathon was a like kind of almost like a goal and it really wasn't, you know, it, it's something that came on the radar later. I'm not sure. Do you know, I don't remember the exact date you decided. Like you, end of March. Yeah. Yeah. So, and this was early May, um, I think. And, yeah. um, you know, so basically what, what we were seeing is that the workouts indicated crap, we should probably get in a marathon soon rather than it being like putting all the eggs in this basket. Right. We could do that. But the point is like, if you embrace the long-term growth aspect, hopefully. And what, what we saw with you is that your, like your typical long run was getting to the point that like you could do these things. And, you know, I like athletes doing that a lot. Like I like athletes racing a lot, putting themselves out there a lot, not necessarily racing for marathons a lot, but doing things that um, constantly that are, give them chances to express themselves fully in the run. Sometimes that'll be 40 seconds slower than you want. But um, other times you'll find these, these reserves of power and ability that you didn't know you had. And they're always there and lurking. And, um, you know, you can find them and it's, it's like incredible. Like another example of an athlete is Kat Drew. She wasn't planning. So this is trail running. She wasn't planning on doing the Canyons 100K, which is a golden ticket race until after she did the Chuckanut 50K. And then she, at Chuckanut, she crushed it so much. I was like, look let's race again. Like, let's not like, this is this ongoing process. We should just get out there again. Like you're so fit. And then she won canyons, you know? Um, and that's kind of like what you had too, is like, you're just doing these other workouts, planning for other races. Like Jonathan, like, we look should at race. that run. I mean, why would we not just hop in some, I, I think I even told you, I don't care if it's like a local 10 person race, just get in a marathon. Right now. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting. I, I think also rewinding like, um, back to when you started. Um, I mean, I'd be curious to know like what it's like from the outside, you know, when you're, when you're doing this, and I think this goes for any runner, whether you have a coach or not, like, you know, you're living in your own head, thinking about what you're capable of. Even if someone tells you you're doing one thing, it's different than the internal world. I'd be curious to know, like, okay, zoom back to last summer or whatever, what's going through your head as you're like, starting to push your limits, you know, even in like the daily run and you're doing these things differently. Like, was there fear there? Like, I just be, would be curious to know about the emotions you were feeling. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that there was fear. It was just like the, the unknown. Um, and it was, it was really cool. It was the kind of thing where I had seen, 
I had seen so much success from swap athletes that like I was bought into the like the process so early on that it was almost done without emotion at, at <laughs> first. And I was like, I was just like going through the, no, I don't want to say, I don't mean it in a negative way, but like just going through the motions and seeing what would happen versus, um, I mean, like I remember doing 30 second strides at what I did today. Those strides for 30 seconds were slower than what I did today for 15 minutes, like by 10 seconds. <laughs> and like, this is 13 days post marathon. So like, I'm not, I feel super fresh, but um, it's just like, it's crazy to see the progress. And, and even like week in, week out last summer, it was just like every week, this, the stride, the pace was get was getting faster or staying the same as the as the minutes were increasing yeah i think that that raises a great point that can apply to any athlete which is if you're busy judging yourself whether positive or negative you're always going to be holding yourself back um and there's a huge temptation especially in running especially in road running to look for metrics of self-judgment whether they be pace or how you feel or all these other things but physiology does not work that way. Everything is so much less clear and obvious and linear than we want it to be. Training adaptation is far more chaotic, like chaos theory, thousands of variables, many of which we don't even fully know, interacting in nonlinear manners. Um, and you know what we want to do is isolate a single variable, control for it, change it, and then measure changing results. But that's not the way the body works. It's very hard to do that. That's why exercise physiology studies can often, on the same subject, can show different things often. And that doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means that we're seeing things we can't measure. Um, maybe unlike something like physics, where you're, you're able to do that in a more direct manner. Um, that's what makes running so exciting and interesting and training so fun and coaching amazing and really cool. Um, but it also can be very frustrating for an athlete that wants to be data-driven and numbers-driven like you are. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'd be, I'd be curious, like, were you able to, you know, I'm not running with you. I don't see it. Are you glancing at your watch all the time when you're running? Like, how are you doing it on workouts or, or runs? Like, I'd, I'd love to know. Yeah. Um, I still do. Um, and I think it's worked because things have gone well and I, I wonder what would happen if I had more of those workouts that didn't go well and and i've had a handful of them and like the 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 one that i did the last it was supposed to be the last 22 miler um, i did it on the cape cod canal and it was like headwind super sunny super hot and i was running like easy pace at like 8 30 and i was used to running long runs at like a 7 10 7 15 or or faster average and I got in, maybe I got in my own head, but like things did not feel good. Um, yeah. And then I had that workout. It was, I don't know, like six by 800 or six by three minute. I mean, um, and I think it was after I had traveled a lot or, or something like that. Um, but in that one, I felt totally fine that the pace was so much slower than what I was anticipating because I knew the effort was there. Um, on that 20 miler, the effort was not there. Um, and I was, for whatever reason, I just didn't have it that day. Um, but I try not to look at the watch, but I, it, it, it gives me like a, like a framework of, of how I'm doing. And I do it for the beginning of an interval just to make sure I'm not going too, too fast. Um, but then I try and not look. I'm, yeah, I'd be really curious. That comment that you made, I think, is really perceptive. So right now, we're telling a very happy story. What happens when this story changes? Which right. it will. And who knows when? Could change next week. Could change five years from now, or 10 years, or 20 years, or whatever. Um, those sorts of things are amazing when they're telling you a story you want to hear. Exactly. And can be very negative and counterproductive when they're telling you a story you don't. Right. Um, and so... You know, I think you're equipped right now to handle it, but what we see a lot is runners that are not. Um, and it's, you know, what we, what your training, your development was a positive feedback loop. 
in the in the in the direction we wanted it to go where all right we raised your aerobic volume we increased your actual raw speed the the true running economy speed that people don't talk about enough in endurance running and then that started this positive feedback loop where you're starting to see not only are your strides getting faster as you mentioned also your easy days are getting like easier because you're improving your running economy and then as that happens you're starting to believe a little bit so things get a little better. Those workouts get a little stronger. It starts to get into the same. It's like, God, we got to just hop in a marathon. And then you crush the marathon and crush all the other things. That's awesome. The worry is what we see in a lot of athletes is the, the positive feedback loop going the other direction. So maybe they've tapped out those initial, some of those gains that you can get from improving your running economy right away. Maybe they've run 100-mile weeks and aren't necessarily getting as much from, from that sort of training. And then... They might have a workout that's a little subpar. Okay, they can live with that. The long run, little subpar, not perfect. Um, and instead of saying, okay, we need, to, we need to step back, relax, rebuild, come back stronger, all that, what they say is, I am not working hard enough. And I am, I am selling myself short, you know, especially in the motivated runner, run, runners out there. And then they start to just grind themselves into a pulp, not just physically, but psychologically, where every run becomes a test. Um, you know, and tests are freaking awesome when you're Albert Einstein tests are not so awesome when, you know, you, you can barely sign your name or whatever, or you do all C's or something. Um, and you know, that can start this thing where like athletes not only perform worse, but get severely injured and, and all, and just get grow into, um, like avenues of self-loathing. So, um, that's why we try to hop off that framework now. Um, because, when, thi- when things are good is when to talk about um, when things are bad. Because when things are bad, it's very hard to, um, you know, rationally evaluate yourself. Because we're all our own worst enemies with that, um, even if we know the, fa- the folly in it. Um, so, yeah, that was, a, that was some philosophical BS. But, <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I mean, I think what's really cool about where you are is you do feel what you feel. Like, I never worry that when, when you had these bad runs, you talked about, you told me, like, you told me that like, it sucked. Like, it wasn't like, Oh, this, this, you know, I did this wasn't exactly like perfect, but you know, it was like really great. And I'm really happy with it. It was like, no, it was okay for it to be bad. Sometimes we took extra rest days. Um, other times we just like, you know, bitched about it and then got out there the next day and had a good run or had a bad run and lived with it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm super curious to see, see what comes next. And like, yeah, I mean, I, I think another thing that might be interesting for you to talk about is, okay, you did a few times. I mean, we increased everything. It wasn't just the volume of intensity increased, not just the volume of speed. It wasn't like, you know, I didn't baby you at all. How did, was there, were there times that you got super discouraged and super down on yourself? Um, that's a good question. Yeah. So, I mean, we went from, I probably averaged 40 miles a week last year to, I think it was like 65 at, for 2019. Um, and so I, to be honest, I was expecting it to be worse. I was expecting to feel worse with, with that, um, accumulated fatigue and it, it really, I felt great. <laughs> I love it. Um, you, we talked early on about the things that you need to increase when you increase volume. And I remember in August, I had done a like four hour run or something like that. And you were like, eat lots of fun food today. And like, I just like crushed pizzas for the rest of the afternoon. <laughs> um, so I, I mean, I, I scaled everything up. Like I have access to so many nutritional resources here at Inside Tracker, And I just like, I use them. Um, and I increased my, my caloric intake. I had, you know, dietitians looking at my blood work and, and giving me feedback on like, what do I need to do to continue feeling this good? Um, so I felt, I felt as good in that, in that 77 mile week as I felt, you know, in the 40 mile weeks, better than the 40 mile weeks. Um, and so I, I didn't really get discouraged. And even when, even when the workouts didn't go well, like right before the taper, I was like, great. That means that we, 
we we didn't leave anything on the table and now we'll just taper down for a little bit and and I'm sure I'll feel fine but in that first week I felt like shit um actually I was, I going into that 10k yeah I definitely saw some self-doubt yeah um I I didn't feel good at all that Monday or Tuesday um and and I really went into I, I went into the 10k like what's gonna happen here um I just let that just might need a reminder the Wednesday before or t- the Sunday, the next week race. So like 11 days before, um, Jonathan had a, essentially a 10 K hard on the log. Like it wasn't, there was, you know, usually I hedge bets and make it so that athletes aren't putting themselves out there with like hard, you know, hard is a very rare thing to see in the log. Um, put impress yourself. And yo, I forgot about that. Impress yourself. That's also, I would question that coaching decision. Um, but yeah, I mean the, so the purpose was partially, I, I knew where he was and I wanted him to see it, but partially, um, based on the data we have with our particular training approach, not recommended for everyone, um, for an athlete around John, John's level, like doing some sort of rather hard tempo effort anywhere from five miles to, or 5k to 10k usually maybe a little longer maybe a little shorter depending on you know a little shorter if someone's like a little bit more a beginner a little bit easier a little bit longer if they're more advanced like you know otq person um it correlates with more accurate predictions of marathon performance based on training um so yeah you went into that and i did the same course as when i did it in november and ran it what was it? 30 seconds, 31 seconds faster. Yeah. And that's in the you know middle of the taper. And so like, I, I think that one that showed us you were ready, but two, like that's a psychological event. One, it, you know, I'm sure there were people after you did that on Strava. I think I remember they were like, what are you doing? You're <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure you're, you know, coworkers and stuff. So one, you're not treating yourself like a baby. You know, you're willing to put yourself out there and go for it. It's not being stupid. Like, um, you know, I think sometimes runners can be like, well, if I value recovery and health, it means I should be so careful that I'm not truly believing in myself. Um, and so, you know, we are the ultimate proponents of rest day brags, but rest day brags are there. So you can have training day brags too. And I think, um, you're really, really willing to go for it there. And I really admired that, but too, it showed like, you know, a lot of what, you were perceiving there wasn't like it was noise, not signal. So, you know, like the fatigue you were feeling in the bad times and stuff, it didn't mean you were out of shape. We are never our workouts. Like we are never even our last 10 days or last month. We are so much more than that. And, um, you know, you had that, that ability to zoom out and see that, which I mean, honestly, it makes my work easy. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I thought that was super cool. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that would be another another point I'm curious about is you do have like a substantial social media following. You do, you know, work for a company in, in a role that like your your visibility is, you know, makes you better at your job. Um, and people are in your ear, you know, like I see this all the time with pro athletes um, and I never get to interview them. So I'm asking you, um, I, you know, like a good example is... Um, like I could be coaching someone that wins a national championship trail race or something. And they'll often within like a week or a month, there will be people telling them, Oh, well, this is what you should do in training, or this is what you should do in racing. This is what you should do next. Or I don't agree with it. Blah, blah, blah. You know, there, there's no, no shortage of critics out there. And you know, you've lived in the, you're living in the public eye. And I, I mean, and I say that like, really uplifting a lot of the times, a lot of huge friends, but I'm sure there's also a little bit of pressure and that goes along with that. Is that something that you've learned to deal with or is it something that you naturally deal with or, or, I mean, I would just be curious. Yeah, I've definitely learned to deal with it. I think I've been doing a better job of it, but like, so we have a, we have a welcome, um, uh, sequence that goes to, to inside tracker prospects that, it's it's persona based so endurance or health and wellness or whatever so there's a photo of me running the boston marathon with a yellow bib in the 26000s um as my bib number and i get a 
I got a reply from from a guy that said, "Why would I take advice from from a uh, charity runner? I'm trying to run 250. What do you have to tell me?" So that's probably like the most pointed comment I've ever had, um, and that came through like Jay Levitt at InsideTracker.com got that email. Like it wasn't on social media. It wasn't like you know whatever. Um, that I have a lot of people that that. Um, I, I guess I'm just really fortunate. I, I don't get a lot of like, you're doing it wrong or, or there are a lot of people that have opinions and suggestions and feedback. Um, but I don't get, I don't have a ton of like, well, I think you're, what you're doing is you're perceiving it's like the glass half, glass half full, <laughs> just the way to do it. Um, you know, what you're saying is like, you're fortunate for the feedback. Yeah. Uh, it's very easy to perceive as something that is a little bit less um, good natured for, for other people. So, you know, I think we can all learn from that is that like, you know, to, to laugh at it all, to take yeah. ourselves slack, cut other people's slack. And yeah, that guy that emailed you that can go fuck himself. I mean, that one hurt a little bit. I, oh, yeah. I, that one stung. And, um, and, and I was tempted to reply back and, and be like, like really like you know what you don't actually i did i did reply i replied to him and i was like that's up to you but you know (laughs) he ended up he ended up using inside tracker so whatever (laughs) (laughs) i should email him with i should email him with my uh with my 259 (laughs) you can now take advice from me um but but like i i heard someone say a while back like do you would you rather trust a coach who is knowledgeable or fast who cares if a coach is fast if they're not knowledgeable i'm not even a coach i'm not even the one that created the platform like i have nothing i have no say in in any of the recommendations that that like we have actual credentialed people that do that um yet still people are still people think that just because i hadn't you know, be cued that, you know, whatever. But I guess, like, like I said, I, I feel fortunate that, that I don't have like, <laughs> I don't have a lot of trolls. Well, um, I, I think you probably just aren't, you're probably very kind. And, and I think it's a good, great lesson for all of us is to perceive the best intentions behind everything that we possibly can. <laughs> um, and, you know, like what I do is, I, I put enough out there that I, I get my fair share of stuff. It's, you just thank them. <laughs> <laughs> it's so uh, disarming when you, when you say thank you. But like, I guess like I really, it's one the reason I wanted to bring that up is I truly admire that about you. And I perceived this about you long ago. Like, you know, <laughs> I say a lot of times for those that haven't heard me before things about puppies and living like puppies and running like puppies. What that just means is like puppies are not questioning like, what does this person think of me or any of this other stuff? They're just going to pet me food and like, and snuggle. And like, like that's hard for a human because we have to come from a place of this existential dread and all this other stuff that humans deal with. But man, if you can harness that, like you are puppy and I love that. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people in your position in the marathon, you're talking about, I knew this person and they were like screaming and, you know, I was here and like, you know, what you didn't really describe is your fate, like, because you were so positive about what you were going through and about the people seeing it and, you know, the community you were with that, like the, the pace fading wasn't even really registering and um, which lets you then, you know, you weren't judging yourself. You weren't in your own head so much that like you were constraining what you can do. Well, well sort of, I, I did acknowledge it and I was like, Oh fuck, I've been here before. Like, <laughs> this is not, like, I've had marathons that, that is Boston last year or Boston 2017. Um, I don't know if we've talked about this one, but um, I was training around 305-ish. Um, that was sort of like what everything was, was looking like at that time. Um, but then it was super hot and I didn't adjust and I was on my feet for, you know, the days prior to the race. 30,000 steps Thursday, Friday, Saturday, feeling like I did a long run, all that stuff. Um, and at mile seven, I was like, that's it. That's all I have today. 
Um, I almost walked off the course at mile 13 when I saw my parents. Um, and I had friends at some high school friends at mile 24 and I knew if I didn't see them, I'd never hear the end of it. Um, so I knew I had to get there and get and see them. Um, and then at 24, it's like, you're almost there. But I think my last 10 K was like 75 minutes. And, and anytime I ran faster than a 10 minute mile, I would literally fall down because my calves would seize up. So these are experiences that, that like I acknowledged in that moment. And I was like, holy shit, is this happening again? And I've never, I've never finished a long distance race without calf cramps. And so at at mile 24 and mile 25, I was like, okay, when is this going to happen? When is this going to set, set in? And thank you for not starting yet, but when? And so like I was acknowledging these things, but then they were just like passing thoughts that, that I had to let go and bring back in those, um, all of those people that had messaged me prior and like some, I read a, I was reading, I did a ton of reading leading up to this race and, and, you know, we train our bodies, but we don't train our, a lot of us don't train our minds. And I think that was so key in, in the success of that mental win or in, in, in part of that mental win. And one of the things that, that I read about was like, you can only have one thought at a time. It can be positive or it can be negative. Don't have, don't let the negative ones beat the positive ones. So anytime this like shit, my calf is going to cramp up. Like I would think of like puppies or, or people or, you know, all these happy thoughts. And I think that's a takeaway that, um, like I said, like it's just a, it's just a race day. It's just one marathon, one day. But what I'm going to take from it is you can do anything that you want. And there were a ton of lessons in that day that, that I, I hope we shared in this conversation, but, um, and I hope the people listening, you know, take, take the, the lessons that, that we talked about and, and use them. Um, the other biggest lesson is eat a gel at mile 22, no matter what. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I think like, you know, one of the big morals of that story is adversity is not something to fear. It's something to cherish. Yeah. Failure is a delicious morsel of life. And like, it's going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And all these things that we, that our monkey brains want us to dread and want us to resist are actually where we grow as people. Um, and so yeah, like get out there and, and screw up, not just with running, but like other things you care about and be okay with it and, and grow from it and, and be willing to change and stuff. Like um, Meg and I are both reading, we ordered two copies of this book, which is how much we like this guy. Um, Pete Holmes, a comedian, wrote a book, Comedy, Sex, God, everyone should get it. But essentially, I mean, his life story revolves around his divorce. Um, so you know, he was married, grew up evangelical, married from 22 to 28, and for him, where he, you know, where he was coming from, divorce was the ultimate verdict on who he was as a person. And, you know, what became, what came of him, you know, what, what could come there is you go into a spiral, you doubt who you are, you, you know, you go down the same path again and are unhappy. And what he did is he just changed everything. And I mean, um, you know, now like he's someone I look to for like spiritual guidance, which is crazy to say about a comedian, but it's like, not because he has like, you know, this amazing knowledge or uh, enlightenment, but because he's gone through the shit and for him, like the ultimate shit. And it goes for athletics too. Like any athlete that gives any bit of themselves will go through the ultimate shit probably sooner rather than later. It's just the nature of an athletic life. It's a nature of having fragile bodies. It's the nature of like the ups and downs of physiology and psychology. And you know, what, where athletes come, there's this great quote from um phil gaiman a, a former pro cyclist who's an also an amazing writer you should read his and great on twitter oh yeah and it was just essentially the idea being i forget the exact quote but it was essentially what separated all of those people and he's here talking about the people that became pros was not the successes they had but how they responded to the failures they had and um yeah i mean that's everything that's everything in life and, and failure you know has a little bit of judgment to it so um, I more mean like things that, don't, you know, it doesn't go perfectly. Um, and then, yeah, the other, the, the more nitty gritty point is that for those listening, if you've believe, made it this far, yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. Mom, uh, <laughs> believe in your speed. Like, you know, so many runners think that they are their 10K or their marathon when in reality, what our data shows and what our experience shows, runners are far more like the, the top speed they can hit comfortably. That doesn't mean sprinting. That just means the ability to actually run fast. And so, you know, embrace that part of yourself, build it, develop it over time, keep it going throughout training cycles. If you do that, then you might start to see this positive feedback loop that we've been talking about with aerobic development and not just at like road races, but also like if you're doing trail races that go up and down high mountains and everything in between. So yeah, I mean, I guess all this stuff really comes back to taking that, like seeing all the complexity of life, having all this existential dread, doubting yourself, not knowing what you're capable of and saying, fuck it and going for it. Um, so that's that's a great, great place to end. Pressure makes diamonds. Love it. <laughs> Fuck yeah, as you said when you finished the marathon. There we go. David, thank you so much. Uh, I will see you next week in, uh, in Boulder. Yeah, I love it. Man, we're going to cuss so much. It's going to be really fun. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, every- thanks so much for listening, everyone. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next week on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too.